0: Before I get on with today's story, I want to give a quick update on the Angel Bumpus case, which I talked about last week on the show. I got a response that she does have a court date on July 29th, but she's not been granted a new trial. This is just to set a date for the motion for a new trial. So she's been waiting this long just to set a date to set a date, basically. So. I believe that this woman really needs our support. If you haven't listened to the episode about her case yet, please give it a listen, share with your friends. Uh, You can join a Facebook group. It's called Justice for Angel Bumpus, and it has about 12,000 members right now. That's where you can find out how to help and what's going on with her court dates and all of that information. So I will also keep you all updated as this uh, plays out. Now... Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about boats. I bet a lot of you have heard the superstition that renaming a boat can be bad luck. According to BoatNames.com, if you're going to rename a boat, you've got to do a purging and renaming ceremony before you put the new name on it or reveal the name publicly. And boat names are extremely important. Tradition says that naming a boat with a strong name like a god or goddess will bring good luck and good fortune. You should also bless a boat. Thank your sea god for their blessings. Ask for safe travels on all future trips. And before you do this christening process, you need to remove anything and everything that may have the old name on it, including keychains, towels, sailbags, all of that. And if you really want to go all out, you should sacrifice some champagne for your new boat name. Why am I telling you this? (laughs) Well, it's very possible that the many owners of the now abandoned and decayed boat sitting in a creek in Petersburg, Kentucky, never did any of this. And this is a topic that's been requested by multiple listeners. So thank you all for bringing it to my attention. I love stories like this. Now, Petersburg, Kentucky is a rural, unincorporated community in Boone County, Kentucky. The 2010 census, which included surrounding areas in the count, determined Petersburg's population to be 620. So very small, even though it's only about 25 miles from Cincinnati. So this boat that we're going to talk about is up in Northern Kentucky, just like the other boat I talked about in a previous episode about the kentucky bermuda triangle Uh, you guys liked that episode it had one of the highest listen counts of all my episodes anyway there's an abandoned ship decaying away in petersburg kentucky and i want to tell you about its journey from its birth to its final resting place they started building this vessel as a private 186 foot luxury yacht all the way back in 1901 in wilmington delaware It was originally named Kelt, and according to KET, at the time, it was one of the most expensive steam yachts built. It was top of the line. It was ordered by a famous Manhattan businessman, John Rogers Maxwell Sr., chairman of the executive committee of the Central Railroad of New Jersey and president of the Atlas Portland Cement Company the latter of which supplied materials for the construction of the Panama Canal and the Empire State Building. Maxwell had this luxurious mansion on the coast of Long Island, and he needed a big old boat to go with it—actually, another big old boat. Maxwell is known to have had at least 27 boats from 1865 to 1910 many of which were racing yachts, and this new one was intended to be the flagship of the racing fleet. Now let me tell you a little bit about how much power this thing had, and also how it was designed originally. Quote, the yacht was equipped with a four-cylinder triple-expansion steam engine by John W. Sullivan, fed by two water-tube coal boilers. This gave the engine the capability of delivering 1,200 shaft horsepower and a speed of more than 15 knots. The boilers had a reserve of 42 tons of bunkered coal on the two sides of the lower deck. Designed by Henry C. Winteringham, a famed yacht designer at the time, the magnificent vessel originally contained two deck houses made of carved mahogany wood and two masts made out of Oregon pine. There were nine furnished and accessorized staterooms, which were also finished in richly carved mahogany and had adjoining bathrooms with green tiling and mosaic floor. One was for the steward, another for the cooks, two for the crew, one for the owner, three for the guests, and the captain's room on the upper deck. The yacht was equipped with modern plumbing and electric power throughout, had ample light and air, electric fans fitted to the portholes, plus in every stateroom, an icebox, a large berth, a chest of drawers, a dressing table, and a wardrobe. I believe Maxwell paid about $250,000 for the yacht, which in 1902, that's, that's a lot of money. It was officially christened and launched on April 12th, 1902. The Celt spent its early years mostly in waters around New York. And then in 1910, Maxwell died suddenly. His widow sold the yacht to a man named Manton, Bra- Manton Bradley Metcalf Sr. His name is such a tongue twister. Uh, he was also from New York, and Metcalf is actually the one who first named the boat Satchem. And then when the U.S. became involved in World War I, the Navy needed more agile boats, not the typical bigger military style. So they started requisitioning some private boats, including this luxury yacht. The Sachem was requisitioned on July 3rd, 1917. And it would be used for recon, not really combat. Uh, It was used for warning other ships of U-boats. And it was good at this because it was quick and agile. So to prepare it for war, the portholes were covered and the masts were removed. The ornate brass was sealed. Extra steel plating was added. All the decking was plated. Uh, Of course, it was armed. They added depth charges. And the sides were raised to make it ocean-worthy. When I say it was armed, um, it was armed with one 6-pounder 57mm deck gun, two 3-pounder 37mm deck guns, and two light machine guns. And, of course, this is when the boat changes names from Satcham to the USS Satcham SP-192, SP, standing for Section Patrol. Now, this next part is definitely the coolest moment in this boat's history, although a lot of folks think it's something else that I'll get to in a minute, but for me, this is so cool. Thomas Edison lived on the USS Sachem for a little while during World War One, and he was basically living on it. In secret because he had a lab set up on the ship and he was conducting secret experiments on things like how to detect a sub and how to detect mines I just think that's really neat the Navy basically handed the ship over to Edison and his employees and from August to October of 1917 he and his team conducted numerous experiments as the USS Sachem took them up and down the East Coast. Uh, there's a great photo of him with his team on the USS Satcham that I will be sure to post on social media. It was also used for training purposes, so there was lots of teaching going on aboard the USS Sachem and for the remainder of the first world war it spent time mostly patrolling the florida coast and the gulf of mexico and then after world war I, it was returned to metcalf who sold it to roland leslie taylor who was a banker from philadelphia by day but a rum runner by night he used the yacht as a rum runner mothership during prohibition The ship by then had been stripped of all the military stuff, so it was back to looking a little more incognito and just like a normal private vessel. But if you think of the time period here, um, 1932, times are tough, Great Depression, and Taylor had to sell the boat, this time to Captain Jacob Martin of Brooklyn and it was sold for a fraction of its cost. I mean, Captain Martin got a deal on this thing. And Martin converted it to a party fishing boat, which was a pretty booming industry at the time. And he would take out anyone who was willing to pay the $2 and they could do whatever they wanted. If they just wanted to party, they could. If they wanted to fish, he would take them out. And he could take them out pretty far. Um, It sounds like it was really kind of the nicest fishing boat you could find. It still had mahogany millwork and brass fixtures, and Captain Martin did very well for himself with it. Um, His marketing is excellent. I'll post some photos of his uh, postcards and things. Um, So fast forward a couple years, things are going pretty well. Um, Winter of 1935, he replaced the steam engine and coal boilers with a diesel engine. Things are just moving right along until February 17th, 1942. We are well into entering World War II. um, And the Navy requisitioned the Sachem for a second time. So what, about 10 weeks after Japan bombs Pearl Harbor? So once again... It's fitted for military use. More plating, several machine guns, the works. It's also renamed again for the Second World War. So this time it is the USS Fenekite. Uh A lot of these ships were named after gemstones. The USS Phenakite acted as a patrol, escort, and a training vessel and was part of the fleet Sonar School Squadron and the Key West Squadron. So during the day, the ship would take sailors from the Sonar School out to train with their sonar equipment. And then as a vessel in the Key West Squadron, it was used to transfer supplies and munitions from New York and then would go on patrol on a rotating basis during the night. So by 1944, the USS Fennecite was patrolling around Key West Harbor, then all the way up to Long Island Sound, uh, down to the Carolinas and even into Cuba. So really, again, just the entire East Coast. And this lasted until the end of the war. It also did deep sea convoy escort duty when needed. And then after the Second World War came to an end, It was used as a fishing boat for a little while longer just a big old fishing boat and jacob martin had bought it back and he was trying to revive it to its former glory he renamed it sachem again but it was in pretty bad shape this time it was a little bit more work than he was wanting to take on and so jacob martin had to put it up for sale And that's when it was purchased by the Circle Line Sightseeing Cruises of New York in 1946, which operated out of Battery Park. And it was good for this role as a cruise ship, basically, because it was pretty big and it it could hold a lot of people on the deck and it had this great background, this great story. So um, people kind of flocked to it and it was renamed the Sightseer. So it spent decades, up until the late 70s, as a touring boat in the New York Harbor. And then in 1977, the boat was pulled from the Circle Line Fleet, and it was sold off for scrap. Anything valuable was stripped. They even removed the pilot house and used it for a ticket sales kiosk at the Circle Line Pier. And then what was left after that was donated to the Sea Scouts, but it ended up just sitting in an abandoned pier. So some volunteers from the Hudson River Maritime Academy kind of tried to keep up with it, keep it from completely falling into disrepair. They managed to restore the main deck, which was made of teak, and they restored the engine room. And then they ran out of money. And so there it sat. And in 1985, the owner of the pier put the property up for sale, including the boat that sat in it. But nobody really wanted anything to do with it at this point. And then came Robert Butch Miller. He was a businessman who lived near Cincinnati, and he had been looking for an old steam yacht for about eight years. And he saw this advertisement in a magazine, and the seller even disclosed, you know, this boat is in major disrepair. It's been abandoned, it's been neglected, and frankly, we're having a heck of a time trying to get it out of my pier. And Miller said, you know what, I want this boat. This is my boat. So he paid $7,500 and promised to have the boat out in a week, which is really kind of fascinating to think about. This boat was built for $250,000 in 1902. It was bought for $7,500 in the 1980s. So now Robert Miller was tasked with getting this boat out of this sludge it was stuck in. And because it hadn't moved in so long, it took 10 days and multiple bulldozers to get it to budge. But once it was out, his plan was to fix it back up a little bit, get it running, and then take it to Kentucky. While still working on the USS Sachem, or I guess just Sachem now, in New York, Miller was approached by someone who got out of a black limo, and this was actually Madonna's production assistant. And they said, hey, you know what Madonna would really love? We would love to use this ship you're fixing up in the background of one of her videos. I have to admit, I had never seen the Papa Don't Preach video prior to researching this episode, but uh, now I've seen it, and Madonna is beautiful, of course, in it. The only thing I could see is there's a scene where they're aboard what appears to be a tour boat, and this older couple is smiling at Madonna and her boyfriend, and violinists are playing in the background. So maybe that part was filmed on it, but I think it's actually just in a couple of really quick scenes where she's in the foreground and uh, Satcham is in the background. I'm really not sure. But before he left, Miller did do one more thing in New York, he took the boat to Ronald Reagan's relighting of the Statue of Liberty torch, which I think is pretty cool. And then in 1988, Robert Miller did take the USS Sachem to Kentucky via the Great Loop, which means he went from the Hudson River through the Erie Canal and up through the Great Lakes and then down the Mississippi to the Ohio. It's kind of funny. One day of the trip Miller, his wife, and a couple of friends who were making this trip with them, they were all detained by Canadian port authorities because they had accidentally crossed into Canada without realizing it. Um, I just thought that was kind of funny. But the whole trip took 40 days. And when they got back, Miller planned to live on this big boat he had brought to this creek off the Ohio River in northern Kentucky. But according to KET, circumstances and property ownership changed, and that just didn't happen. Instead, it was abandoned. Miller moved on to other projects, and he eventually moved to Mexico, and so he sold the land to neighbors. And so now this boat, this big boat, it's just sitting in this little shallow creek. It's on private property, and there are no trespassing signs. That um, people do still go back there. I'm not advising it. Guys, I've said it before, no trespassing. But you can't view this from any public area. You have to probably kayak back to this spot, which, don't do it. Unfortunately, the sachem has been vandalized a lot. There's plenty of graffiti on it. And every time the river floods, the boat gets more damaged and just kind of more submerged in this what really looks like a swampy area really there are groups that have organized in recent years trying to save this thing before it gets to the point of no return because people seem to think that if it doesn't get pulled out in the next couple of years it's gonna have to come out in pieces or just not at all and it's it's just kind of a bummer it's gonna be this relic lost to time which I mean to me it's kind of sad Two presidents spent time aboard the USS Sachem: Herbert Hoover and Warren Harding. And now it's referred to as the ghost ship. Um, as far as I know, it's not really haunted, and trust me, I looked. But maybe if all the different owners over time had done a more careful job of renaming and christening the boat, maybe it wouldn't be sitting abandoned and decaying in a creek bed figured i better say this before i sign off i am clearly not an expert in anything boat related so uh, i just went off some of the articles that i found and i tried to make sense of it as best i could Um, my friends that are boaters would probably cringe if they heard me talking about all this stuff in this episode so if i misspoke I apologize, bear with me, but man, I just love this story and I love everything that this boat went through, all the different roles it played, and then there it sits. It's it's so interesting. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want to support the show financially, there are a couple ways you can do that. You can send a one-time donation through Venmo at KYHistoryHaunts, or if you want to be a monthly subscriber, You can go to any of the show notes from any episode at the very bottom. There's a link to the website and it says uh, slash support at the end of it. You can go there, subscribe for 99 cents a month, hugely helpful to me. The more people do that, um, it really adds up and I really appreciate it. So thank you all for everything. Thank you for all your support and thank you for telling your friends and sharing all these episodes and, uh, I'll be back soon.